This is Truth and Focus, your radio program for worldview talk and issues that matter, with Josh Cumston and Gordon Teeson, broadcasting from the studio at Nebraska Christian Schools. Welcome to Truth and Focus. I'm Gordon Teeson along with my co-host, Josh Cumston. We're in the studios today at Nebraska Christian Schools, and our guest today is T.J. Rexelius. T.J., welcome to the program. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. T.J. is the pastor at Saving Grace Church in Albion, Nebraska, and he did our chapel this morning. And before we get into the message today, I wanted to ask you a little bit about how long you've been up at Albion and a little bit about the church and what's happening up there at Saving Grace. Yeah, we uh, church planted August of 2011, and we've been there so for almost three years now. And just experiencing God's provision and grace in church planning is a wonderful thing to be a part of. And coming along like-minded churches around the area and being able to advance the gospel to further God's kingdom is a wonderful thing to be a part of full-time. Such a blessing. TJ, your background is you had gone to a Christian high school. How did that affect the message that you wanted to bring to our students today? Yeah, one of the, the biggest passions and drives for me is working with the teenage kids that have the opportunity to be at a Christian school. I had that opportunity for 12 years, and it's one of those things where you can kind of become callous to many things because you hear it in day in, day out, and at home, and then at church on Sunday. And so it was one of those things where I had really been praying that what I was going to bring here today from God's Word was just what I was experiencing at that age and struggling with, okay, what is God's call for me? And he he warns complete allegiance from from not only me, but the world. And so I'm just thankful for, again, his grace and the way he summoned me to himself when I was very calloused and hard-hearted. I knew the things that I needed to know, but at the same time, I wasn't applying them and they weren't taking root in my life. And so that's... uh, a wonderful opportunity to come and share with kids here, too, that have the, the same kind of background, maybe, and have been here for a while, and just give a call from God's Word that it's so much more. Uh, he wants us to follow Him. He wants us to walk step in step with Him. That personal relationship is so much more. We go deeper and deeper, and there's never a stopping point. Let's join TJ with today's message. This is probably the biggest joy or the biggest passion for me is to come and share with teens who are in a Christian environment almost all week. And so I was there, and I have many things that I can share with you. And my hope and my prayer is that none of you fall into the trap that I did, where eventually things became mundane. Chapel each week, Bible class, worldview, all the teachers incorporating the gospel and the good news in their classes. And eventually, my heart became calloused to where I knew what I was saying. I knew what I needed to know. In many areas, I knew more than the teachers as far as what should come out of my mouth. And I had everybody fooled. And so my prayer this morning on the way here and even now and afterwards is that your heart is not callous, but that you see the joy and the privilege of being able to be where you're at. It is an extreme blessing and very easy to become ungrateful for, but 
in many areas, I want to encourage you to thank your parents, thank your teachers, and the many staff here that are involved, and your coaches as well. If you could turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, as you're turning there, I'll share a little bit about myself. My beautiful wife back there, Tara, we've been married for seven years, almost eight, and Taylor's with her, and Kalisa, our newborn, and then we have a six-year-old boy at home, Jackson, and a four-year-old girl, Kyla, and then a two-year-old boy named Maximus. That is the coolest name ever. Why? Because our last name is Rexilius, Maximus Rexilius. Sounds like a gladiator. Hopefully you're to Luke chapter 9. A.W. Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when we think about God is the most important thing about you. For me, when I was in your shoes, it was all day, every day, from being at school, from being at home. So God was just a knowledge thing. I need to know this so that I can get through my classes and just not have any problems. But there's a much deeper thing here when A.W. Tozer says that. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. It's very important that we understand something before we jump into our text this morning. Usually I'm pretty eager to jump right in there. Let me just say in very short, we are sinners. Each and every one of us, from the second you're born, from the second you're conceived inside of the womb, you are a sinner. Because Adam and Eve, from the very first start, it's fallen nature, and it's passed on to us, and we basically deserve hell. And God's gracious, merciful, steadfast love, He sends His Son, Jesus, to live a perfect life which we cannot live, which is very important to understand this morning in our text. Nothing you do from following rules to trying to earn favor in God's sight will get you into the kingdom of God. So Jesus does that for us. He lives the perfect life. And He becomes that perfect sacrifice and pays the penalty for us on the cross. And then in three days, rises again and will return for his children that's very important to understand this morning because we're going to talk about what it means to follow him and following him doesn't come first it comes after what god does in your life when he summons you to himself and forgives you of your sins and you lean on him wholeheartedly yet i think some people think that even after the good news of hearing that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, that that's kind of where Christianity stops. And we often put a period right there, assuming that the Christian life is just being forgiven of our sin. And many professing Christians are stuck here. And this is where I was, believing that Jesus cleansed me from my sins and yet I was lacking true, authentic, real, radical change in my life like Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, the renewing of your mind, the transforming of your life. But this is not the way it's supposed to be because God gives a promise to Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27. He told his people, I will give you a new heart 
and I will put a new spirit in you. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. In light of this, in the New Testament, Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3 that to be born again means to be born of water and of spirit. And if you're like me, what does that mean, water and spirit? Well, if you think about it, these words are actually mind-blowing. When you come to Jesus, he not only forgives you, but he also fills you with his spirit, himself. And we should, as Christians, feel the magnitude of that. When you come to Jesus, he puts the source of his life into the very center of your life. And this is the heart of Jesus' call to follow him. When you become a Christian, you die, and Jesus becomes your life. Or to paraphrase Paul from Galatians 2.20, you have died with Christ, and you're not even alive anymore. Instead, Christ is alive in you, and the only way you live is by faith in him. Or I love how Paul puts it in Philippians 1.21. This is our youth group theme verse. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is the stunning message of Christianity. Jesus died for you so that he might live in you. And Jesus doesn't just merely improve your old nature. He imparts to you an entirely new nature. One that is completely united with his. That's awesome. And where I kept stubbing my foot in high school was that J.C. Ryle says, never does a person see any beauty in Christ as a savior until they discover that they are lost and a ruined sinner. So before we read our text this morning, it's really important to understand that obedience of heart and hands is the way you follow God but it is not the means of access to a relationship with Him. It's not obedience for your exception, but it's obedience from being accepted by God. It's not for your exception, but it's from. So let's read our text, Luke chapter 9. We're going to focus mostly on the first couple of verses, but I'm going to read the context, verses 23 through 27. This is Jesus talking, and I love how Luke's account gives it because he basically gives the gospel right before that. We have Peter. He confesses Jesus as Christ. And then Jesus foretells of his death. Prophecy becoming fulfillment right there. And then he goes right into, take up your cross and follow me. He says to all, in verse 23, If anyone would come after me, let him do three things. Deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Warren Wiersbe says it really well. He says, it's a very real danger to talk for miles about Jesus without ever really following him an inch. And that's what I was doing in high school. I talked a lot about Jesus. I knew a lot about God. I memorized scripture. I knew God's word. I would win the sword drill. 
but yet I never followed him an inch. That phrase that he says there, taking up the cross, this was language that Jesus was using that was intended to be obeyed, not just remembered. It was intended to be obeyed. I love how David Platt puts it. He says, in a world where everything revolves around you, protect yourself, promote yourself, preserve yourself, entertain yourself, comfort yourself, take care of yourself. And Jesus says here, slay yourself. That's hard to do, especially in our society. But what does that look like? How do I know that I'm taking up the cross? Maybe you're wondering that. Let me give you a little foretaste of what it should be. Ultimately, your reason for living changes. Possessions and position are no longer your priorities. Comfort and security are no longer your concerns. Safety is no longer your goal because self is no longer your God. You now want God's glory more than you want your own life. The more you glorify Him, the more you enjoy Him, and the more you realize that this is what it means biblically to be a Christian. Each day is going to bring its own share of burdens and opportunities for suffering for the truth, even in a Christian school. And actually, at the very end of this chapter, in verses 57 through 62, we get kind of practical implications of these words that are seen where people are willing to share excitement, but as soon as hardship and suffering comes along, they kind of draw back from Jesus' command to follow him. I love how it's put in those verses, 57 through 62. You get two guys that come up to Jesus, and they want to follow him. And it kind of seems unusual, but he turns two followers away. And aren't you kind of like, well, doesn't Jesus want people to follow him? Yeah, he does. But he also knows the heart of people. And that's what he goes directly at in verse 57 and 58. One guy says, I'm going to follow you wherever you go, Jesus, in Luke chapter 9. And Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What does that mean? This guy was not counting the cost of what it meant to follow Jesus. Jesus was specifically saying, you may not even have a roof over your head. You may not have food for a certain amount of time. Are you counting the cost before you say, I'll follow you wherever you go? And then the second guy comes up to him and he says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And what would be unusual or almost come off kind of harsh to unbelievers, Jesus says, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Well, yes, Jesus does want you to honor your father and mother, but what this guy was wanting was either, probably most likely wanting his dad's inheritance, and he wanted to go back, wait till his dad died, obtain the inheritance, and then follow Jesus. And he wasn't counting the cost either. Jesus says, die to yourself and you're going to live. Christianity does not offer easy happiness. But it's the only thing that offers real happiness. Have you begun to even follow Jesus this way? Are you ready to face hardships and to speak boldly about him? And we have to ask ourselves these questions. And 
the Lord even proceeded with a very similar question. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? In verse 25. To gain this world's money or power or popularity is meaningless if the final judgment swallows you up. Jesus wants us to know from verse 25 and 26 that we would have to speak up for Christ in the face of severe persecution and maybe even death. It's hard to visualize that in America. We have it pretty good. But let me put it this way. Think of your friendships that you have. Think of some unsaved people in your lives. The gospel, the good news, it both attracts and repels people. If you're always getting persecuted, you're probably a jerk. If you're never getting persecuted, you're probably a coward. If you just look at verses 24 through 26, basically, looks deceive. Looks deceive. You can deceive people. The soldier who hears the command to march and then he retreats is usually the one that's shot by the enemy, not the one who advances against the enemy. You do everything you can for self-protection and advancement. You may even become CEO or president or whatever goal you have to achieve in life. Seniors, whatever goal you have. But you look back at all of it, and it's for nothing. None of this has brought meaning for the present or the hope for the future. I love how Jeremiah 17.9 says it. This was me, and maybe it's some of you. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? Your heart can deceive you if you're going through the motions. That's why it's so important to reflect after each chapel. I know it's easy. It gets mundane. But it's so important, even if you just spend a brief one, two minutes afterwards, just sit there and pray, God, show me where I need to be more in love with you and less in love with myself. Jesus finally applied the clincher This world is not the focus. The final judgment is the focus. The world's judgment does not matter. The local newspaper column is not the final word on your life. The final word comes from the Son of Man returning to judge the world, revealing His glory and the glory of all heaven's inhabitants. So if you spend your time in this world trying to hide the fact that you really believed some things Jesus said, then Jesus will hide all the glory from you. Is that the price you're willing to pay? Worldly glory over heavenly glory? Which matters most to you? The world's ways or God's ways? Which are you following? The world's wealth or Christ's reward? Which will you receive? It should be our hope that on the day we face the Lord, which none of us know, could be today, could be when you're 100. It should be our hope. When we face him, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Not the opposite, away from me, I never knew you. And then you hear the responses, well, didn't I do this and I did this and I did this? In verse 26, if anyone is ashamed of me, the word ashamed is actually found 63 times in 58 verses in the Bible. 
And this is another way of just saying to disown me, which would be the opposite of acknowledging who Jesus is. I love how he points it out in Luke chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. The loyalty to ultimate values demanded there in verse 24 becomes more focused on Jesus. I love how Lecrae puts it. He says, being unashamed of your faith isn't a proud, arrogant pat on your back. It's a loud cry of weakness, need, and dependency. You're screaming out, I am unashamed to need a Savior. Every day, I always tell our church, you don't ever graduate from understanding the gospel. It's not, okay, I get it. Jesus came and he died. You remind yourself of that every single day. You will never fully understand, fully grasp what took place. I like to call this buffet religion. And this is basically what I was doing. And maybe some of you are. Where you pick and you choose what you want. Maybe from reading of God's word. Maybe from chapel sessions. Maybe from things your teachers are teaching you. Okay, I get it. I'm supposed to obey my parents. I guess I can do that. And you plop that on your plate with a bad attitude. Okay, I'm supposed to love my neighbor more than myself. I don't think I can do that. So you kind of go on to the next thing. And you pick and you choose what you want. That's buffet religion. That is false. That is a very dangerous thing to do. Yeah, there are some hard things in Scripture that come across. But if you remember, I'm obeying from my acceptance. Not for my acceptance. There's a love there. And then in verse 26, Jesus says, and my words. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the person and the message of Jesus cannot be separated. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. A massive transformation takes place in your life from knowing about Jesus to living in Jesus. I was knowing about Jesus in high school And until I slayed myself, died to myself, denied myself, and took up the cross to follow him daily, then I was living in Jesus. And oh, how much freer it is to do that. I have to address it. It's in verse 27 when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father. Basically, the coming of the Son of Man is mentioned eight times just in the book of Luke. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Don't tell yourself, okay, I'm going to wait. I'm wait till I'm out of high school and then it becomes college and then it becomes I'm going to wait till I'm really sick and in the hospital before I even commit to giving my life to Jesus. And you don't ever really, none of us ever really mean it in a mean way. We're just kind of like, um, I'm not really ready to die to myself. Let me say a few things here. And this goes for both guys and girls. But girls, I think this might hit home. You are not defined by your possessions, by your looks, or by your popularity. You are made in God's image. Live for Him and live with a purpose. Stop believing the lies the world is telling you. You are made in God's image and you are precious in His sight. Do we realize the weight of the one who actually invites us to follow Him here in verse 23? 
He is way more worthy of our church attendance or Christian school attendance or casual association or bringing him up once around a non-believer. He is worthy of total abandonment in our life and its supreme adoration. If he calls you to go overseas, senior, then do it. Don't say, I need to get my career first. I need to do this first. I need to do this first. Give him your total abandonment. Die to yourself. Basically, what was happening with me in high school was I was beginning to absorb the culture, and the Bible seemed strange to me. I knew it, but it seemed strange to me. And if I would have taken more time to absorb the Bible, learn it, apply it, then the culture would have seemed strange to me. But I was doing the opposite. I was absorbing the culture and beginning to squeeze the Bible out of my life. I'm going to close with two more things. Oswald Chambers and his devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, goes really well with this. So I want you to just picture this. You don't have to, but you can close your eyes and just try to visualize this. But he says, suppose God tells you to do something that is an enormous test of your common sense and it's totally going against it, what will you do? Will you hold back? If you get into the habit of doing something physically, you will do it every time you are tested until you break the habit through sheer determination. And the same is true spiritually. Again and again, you will come right up to what Jesus wants. But every time you're going to turn back at the true point of testing until you are determined to abandon yourself to God in total surrender. Jesus Christ demands the same unrestrained, adventurous spirit in those who have placed their trust in him. If a person is ever going to do anything worthwhile, there will be times when he must risk everything by his leap in the dark. In the spiritual realm, Jesus Christ demands that you risk everything you hold on to or believe through common sense and leap by faith into what he says. Once you obey, you will immediately find that what he says is as solidly consistent as common sense. Jesus is smarter than you, basically. And by the test of common sense, Jesus Christ's statement may seem mad, but when you test them by trial of faith, your findings will fill your spirit with the awesome fact that they are the very true words of God. Trust completely in God. And when he brings you to a new opportunity of adventure, offering it to you, see that you take it. He says we act like pagans or non-Christians in a crisis. Only one out of an entire crowd is daring enough to invest his faith in the character of God. I'm going to close by reading Luke 14, verses 26, 27, and 33. If anyone comes to me, this is Jesus, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 33, so therefore any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. To everyone else in the world, this passage seems crazy. But to every Christian, this is words of life. For the few who choose to abandon themselves to the will of God, 
and put their trust in the character of God, following Jesus wherever he leads, no matter the cost, is the only thing that makes sense. It's easier to talk about following Jesus when you're making general statements rather than making specific commitments. What comes into your minds when we think about God is the most important thing about you. You've been listening to a message by Pastor T.J. Rexilius, who is the pastor at Saving Grace Church at Albion, Nebraska. Well, this wraps up the program today. You've been listening to Truth and Focus. For my co-host, Josh Cumston, this is Gordon Thiessen. Thanks for joining us as we encourage, engage, and equip Christians in today's culture war while bringing the truth in focus. Thank you.